Welcome to The Atlantic Interview. I'm Jeffrey Goldberg, the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic, and today we're going to be talking about a persistent problem in the technology industry, namely, where are the women? There are people who do want to do the right thing, and they don't know where to start. My guest is Tracy Chow. She's a leader in the fight for equality in Silicon Valley. She's a software engineer. She's formerly with Google and Pinterest, or Pinterest. I've never actually heard the word said aloud before. Um, And she started a group called Project Include, uh, which is there to help companies that want to do better on the issue of equality. People who are starting companies or early stage startups were asking us, like, okay, so I, I care about diversity. Uh, what do I do? So Tracy Chow, welcome to the Atlantic interview. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're in Cape Town, which is far away from where I am. What are you doing in Cape Town? I'm here partly for holiday and also for a couple of work projects. Holiday. You say that like you're an English person. I'm trying to pick up the local lingo. Okay. So, Tracy, you're a very, very interesting person, and you've had a very, very interesting role in uh, a large and continuing controversy in the tech industry. But I wanted to start by asking you about some other industries. In the last couple of months, we have uh, huge eruptions about... um, Sex, sexual harassment, discrimination in the restaurant industry, in the morning television industry, obviously in Hollywood and professional sports and elsewhere. Um, I'm a little surprised that we haven't had a, a level of eruption in Silicon Valley that we see in other places. Does this surprise you at all? It does not surprise me because to be able to speak up about harassment, sexual harassment or assault or these sorts of abuses of power requires having some of your own power. And um, where we stand in Silicon Valley is that there is still a very big gender imbalance. And it's not just in representation overall, but really in leadership. Um, and if we're looking at the dynamics between founders and venture capitalists who give the founders money, there's still such a huge imbalance. I think it's difficult for people to speak up without serious professional repercussions. I mean, it's really quite a statement about your industry to say you're suggesting that it's less progressive or less open than Hollywood, which is not, as we now know, a bastion of female empowerment. Right. Um, There's definitely very severe issues in Hollywood. But one thing that you will see in Hollywood, at least, is that there are women who want to work there, and so they don't have the same sort of um, representation issues, at least at the entry levels that you see in Silicon Valley. And so I think because you at least have greater representation of women, um, and you also see some very high-profile successes in terms of actresses, at least, who um, have made names for themselves and have their own platforms to stand on, they have a little bit more leverage in speaking up. Right. Let's go all the way back. Tell me how you got into this industry and why you're in this industry. And then tell me when you noticed that something was wrong. So I got into software almost um, because it was inevitable for me. Both of my parents are software engineers. I grew up in Silicon Valley, went to school at Stanford, studied engineering. Right. You're a poster child, actually. You're like the perfect expression of Silicon Valley-ness. Minus my gender, I would say. Right. So it is an interesting kind of story to look at. Despite everything being set up in my favor, I still almost didn't become a software engineer. And I think that is due to the headwinds of being female in such a male-dominated field. Um, but luckily, I 
did manage to find my way uh, to working at tech companies and discovered that I really enjoyed being a software engineer and building things. And it was just so cool to write code and make sites and services exist where they didn't before. When was the first time you noticed something was awry? So I think there were a lot of little things that I noticed originally, but didn't quite piece together as part of a larger problem or narrative. Uh, so even in school, I noticed that there weren't very many women around me. Um, there were a number of classes where I would be the only woman or one of only two or three. Um, but it was really when I started working full time and I could see um, that there were differences in how I was being judged, uh, my competence, my ambition, and the sorts of opportunities I was getting. Go back to Stanford a bit. I mean, you've said before that the way your male colleagues, male students talked about themselves and their success, that that had an impact on you. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, when I started taking classes um, in computer science at Stanford, I distinctly remember one of the introductory courses. Um, there was the first assignment that people talk about being really difficult, and it took me something like 15 hours to do. I heard some of my classmates bragging that it had taken them only three hours. And in my head, I was just thinking, wow, these people finished in 20% of the time that I did. They are five times better than I am. And sort of quantifying that difference to myself. Some people would call these classes weeder classes uh, to filter out people who didn't belong in the major, weren't worthy. Uh, and I just felt like I was, I was one of those people getting weeded out. And some of my classmates would say like, oh, people talked about how this class would be so difficult, but it's actually quite easy. I don't understand why people were talking about how difficult it was. Um, so that, that difference was pretty stark for me. Later, I discovered some of these people who had been bragging about how easy the classes were we're actually having quite a difficult time. And some of them ended up coming to me for help on some of the assignments towards the end of the course. But the self-calibration, which is very different in our in our cases. So I guess it leads to the question, is there some innate uh, or, or, or culturally imposed behaviors here that... Um, let me, let me rephrase it. I'm trying to word this in a way that doesn't make me sound like an asshole. So give me a second. Um, the, no, no, no. I mean, it's like, what did you learn about males and the way they present themselves in public from that early experience at Stanford? The men around me just had this greater confidence in themselves and a sense of belonging that kept them there. There's also a lot of research on this outside of the computer science context about boys and girls in classrooms and their perceptions of who was doing the best in the classes. And even if a girl is doing very well in a class, she may not rate herself that way. And um, her male classmates may not either. How do you fix something like that? I think there are many different angles that we are going to have to approach this problem from. So some people like to talk a lot about the pipeline issue, which is we need to get more girls um, and underrepresented minorities into the educational system, studying computer science and technical fields much earlier. And um, some approaches to that are, for example, 
making computer science mandatory. So everybody has to take some computer science. Um, and so then there's no longer any sort of skew in the classroom because everyone is present. I think there's um, you know, tied to that some of the uh, stereotypes and social consciousness and awareness um, around software and technology and the idea that girls can do technical things. Um, and if you're looking at it from the cultural side, movies like Hidden Figures are a really big deal. And just showing people these stories is really powerful in these narratives. Um, and that also ties into the idea of having role models that people can identify with no matter what their background is. Another big part of solving this problem around diversity is actually in the field, once people get to industry, making it hospitable and welcoming to everyone and such that anyone who wants to work in technology can succeed there. One thing we're seeing is that even the women and minorities that do make it into industry then encounter a very hostile or unwelcoming work environment that makes it difficult to continue and to succeed. Well, let's go to that question of what happened when you went into industry. I mean, you obviously succeeded at Stanford. You obviously uncovered the lie that many of your male colleagues were living, which is to say the, oh, yeah, this is easy when it actually was hard and they wound up coming to you. Um, so you go in with, you, know, you have the wind at your back and you go to some very big companies, Google, Pinterest. Um, I, I'm wondering if you could frame out a little bit of, of what you experienced when you went into the actual field. Yeah, it, it was, again, um, not a single moment, but a lot of little things added up. So even during my internship, so when I was in school, I did internships at Google and Facebook and things like not getting a real project to work on when I went to Google um, because the project that I was supposed to work on had been given to an MIT student instead um, who was a man um, and continuously being petted and talked about in a way that didn't recognized me as a software engineer and someone that could be respected and trusted to do real technical work. Sorry, what do you mean petted? Um, people literally said things like, well, you're so cute and would kind of, uh, make me feel as if it were just a, a novelty that I was even there as like a young female intern. What did you say when you were quote unquote petted? What would you respond? I would just take it and try to treat it as a compliment. Um, it was hard for me to make sense of it. I didn't know if my experience was unusual, um, and I just assumed that that was the way things were. And so when I had colleagues who would um, make comments on my appearance or give me strange gifts, um, one time a colleague made me a T-shirt with his name on it. I just took it and didn't question and try to go on with my work. Okay, I have to say that's the lamest thing I've ever heard, by the way. <laughs> it's also a little bit strange. What am I supposed to do with a t-shirt with someone's name on it? I don't think I can wear it. I'm not his property. What did you What did you do with it? I threw it away, but... That's the correct response. <laughs> yeah, ding, ding, ding. I always ding. wonder you if I should have kept it as a relic of 
being a female intern in a tech company. 40 years from now, you could have given that to the Smithsonian. Uh, <laughs> the Well, come, come back to this, because I want to ask a question about these guys, uh, and you'll see where I'm going in a second. In your mind now, these guys, were they bad men? Were they clueless men? Did they conform to the stereotype that we have of some people in the Valley being kind of on the spectrum? How do you think about them today? I don't think they were bad. They were just generally a little bit uh, unaware of how things they were doing might make people feel uncomfortable. In their minds, they were complimenting you. Yeah, I think they were complimenting. Um, some of them viewed the workplace as a good place to meet potential romantic prospects. Was there ever a moment in your career where you thought to yourself, oh my goodness, these guys are going to drive me out of the career I love? There was a period of time where I was crying myself to sleep every night, wondering why it was so difficult and why I was having such a hard time and what I should do, um, whether that meant quitting my job, quitting the industry, um, also being frustrated because I really like coding and being a software engineer and building products. And I think I'm reasonably good at it. Um, but there was a disconnect between what I wanted to be doing and what I felt um, welcome doing. Do you know any women who were driven out by by sexism or harassment? I know a number of women who have left companies and then gone to work for themselves or freelance because they no longer wanted to be in environments where they were not in control and couldn't be sure that there wouldn't be sexism. We're going to take a quick break and be back in a second with Tracy Chow. Talk about this in the context of the great controversy of this year. Google fired the employee who wrote a memo saying women do not work well in high stress jobs. Software engineer James Damore was dismissed yesterday by the tech giant. I want to talk about your reaction to that. And also, I want to get your reaction to the reaction because there there turns out to be a kind of male counter reaction to uh the issue of diversity and the issue of gender advancement. The software engineer told CBS News via email he was wrongfully terminated for perpetuating gender stereotypes and said his three-year career at Google ended for political reasons. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that you weren't surprised by the content of that memo. Is that fair? Completely fair. I was not surprised by the original memo. I have worked with people who have very similar thoughts to Damore. And they're very frustrating to hear. Um, the sort of dressing up of pseudoscience with fancy language and citations to papers um, tries to, you know, make these arguments seem reasonable and the reactions unreasonable. Um, but at the end, I think it was just pseudoscience and trying to justify the lack of diversity um, and absolve blame for the hostile work environment. Around the time of the Google letter conflagration, um, a uh, Silicon Valley figure named Eric Weinstein, he works with Peter Thiel, 
um, wrote a, uh, a, a now very famous or infamous tweet. Um, it, it stated, Dear Google, stop teaching my girl that her path to financial freedom lies not in coding, but in complaining to HR. Thanks in advance, a dad. I was wondering if you had seen that and, and what you think of that attitude. There is very little that I would recommend that people go to HR for, unfortunately. And so characterizing the situation as going to HR will be financial freedom seems just completely wrong. Um, but he was also missing the point of uh, this, I guess, this whole situation about the, the Daymore memo. Daymore wasn't fired for speaking his viewpoint. It's that the opinions he was voicing and the way he was presenting them were creating a hostile work environment. It seemed very unlikely that a woman would be able to work with him after everything he had put out there. His larger point seems to be, though, that w women who complain about the work environment can't hack it. I think the suggestion in this tweet is that the women who are complaining are simply weak and are looking to um, legal solutions, HR solutions, when the problem might be within themselves. That is a that is an attitude that at least I understand from the outside is fairly common in your industry. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I've I think it's easier for people to believe that they have created an environment that is great, and anybody who has problems with it is themselves deficient. Um, and this is the sort of thing that I encountered personally as well when I um, asked a you know previous employer to you know, do some self-examination and think about how we could make the workplace more friendly for different types of people. Um, I was accused of wanting to project sexism around me. Tell me more about that. Um, I just felt like there were lots of little things that were not set up for um, women to succeed in that environment, and I wanted us to address them. And it was a place where we talked about how we wanted to be the best place for engineers to work, and there was a lot of investment that went to that, everything from really good tooling um, for development to the sort of recruiting efforts we were putting out there. Um, and my question then was, well, if we can make this the best place for engineers to work, why don't we also try to make it the best place for women to work? Um, I was shut down as, again, wanting to project sexism around me. Um, I was told that we weren't worse than average, and so there was no need for us to put any particular effort towards making the place better for women. It's amazing that someone in a hyper-competitive industry filled with very smart people would say, well, we're not worse than average on this category, so it's fine, right? I mean, if, if they ever said that in a meeting about engineering or product, they'd be fired. Right. But here, most of the people who work in um, the technical side of things and are leaders at these tech companies are men. And so if they can see themselves succeeding because they are, um, and they can see other people like themselves they don't really find it to be a problem that women aren't there. And this also speaks a bit to that myth of meritocracy, where um, in theory, the best people are successful, the people who are successful most deserve it. Um, and the people who are at the top and are represented in this system want to believe in meritocracy because it means that they deserve to be there, they deserve their successes, and people who aren't there just don't deserve it. And they, they aren't smart enough, they don't work hard enough, or whatever it is. 
have you worked in a place in your career that you thought got it? I have had positive experiences. I have worked for some really great managers who really got it. Um, I've also worked with people who maybe weren't that well versed in the issues, but um, directionally understood and were open to learning more. I will say that when I first joined Pinterest, it was the first place I had ever been in school or work where I felt like I was treated as an engineer and not a female engineer. And prior to that, that female modifier always seemed relevant in some way. Like it was a discount on my abilities, um, something novel about my even being there. Maybe it was the size. There are simply too few people to actually sort of marginalize anyone based on some extraneous characteristic. Well, so the previous company I worked at, I joined as the fifth person. I left when it was about 30. So it was still pretty small and there was definitely um, bias there. What happened there? I felt like I was treated differently and not expected to do work that would be comparable to my male peers. You've talked about a phenomenon in the past. Uh, I would love to hear you more on this. The idea that when you as a female engineer propose a solution, it's not heard. And then when a male engineer proposes the same solution, it's heard. You're both right. You went first and, and people didn't people didn't buy it. Yeah, this phenomenon where women aren't heard um, unless their ideas are repeated by men seems to be quite prevalent across different industries. I had found a bug in a major or a very important part of our code base. Um, and when I found this bug and tried to let people know about it as something serious that we needed to fix right away. The response I got initially was, there can't be a bug in that code. It's too important for us to have not discovered, to have missed something like this earlier. Um, and so my um, my concern was immediately dismissed until someone else who was a man came by and, and noticed um, that I was right. And he sounded the alarm again. And then suddenly it was a big deal and we had to fix it. It was very high priority, urgent. Um, and when we decided that we needed to fix it, then the question was who was going to fix it? And of course I said, I can fix it because I found the bug and I know exactly what the problem is and I know what the, the solution is. And again, people around me were skeptical and weren't sure that I would be able to fix it and kept asking if I needed help and then kept saying I needed to make sure I had multiple people check it over um, to make sure that my work was correct and that my solution was actually going to work. Um, and it was just this extra level of scrutiny that didn't seem founded. Is there any other variable there that we might not be considering? Your age at the time, your newness in the company? I mean, have you have you factored in any any other factors? So for the longest time in this workplace, I thought that it might be one of those other variables besides gender. I thought maybe it was because I was the first and only new grad hired um, in the, in the beginning, and I thought maybe it was because my undergraduate degree was not in computer science. Uh, it was in electrical engineering, which is related, but not the same. I thought maybe it was because I didn't have as many core classes there. Uh, and it was after another female engineer joined the company who had a couple of years of work experience, had studied computer science undergrad and graduated the top of her class um, with a close to an A plus GPA that 
I realized maybe it wasn't those things because she had a very similar experience to me in that she didn't feel like people trusted her, um, didn't think she'd be able to do good work. And just our experiences were so eerily similar, um, but none of those other dimensions match that I thought might be the explanatory variable, except that we were both female. Right. Part of your career now is to quantify this problem. I was wondering if you could talk for just a minute about uh, the realization you had that no one actually knows numbers. Uh, in, an, in, in an industry, by the way, that runs on numbers, tell us what you found and, 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 and where your industry is today. So early on, because I was working in startups and there was a pretty close-knit startup community in Palo Alto, I got to know the female engineers at various companies. And um, it was actually kind of fun for me to meet people at a new companies and then ask them how many female engineers they had. And so just in the back of my mind, I had a little bit of a running tally. But it was this one moment when I was at Grace Hopper, which is a, a big conference every year for women in computing. And I heard Cheryl Sandberg speaking. If you look at leadership in every industry, it mirrors what's happening in computer science, which is that progress for women um, has flatlined and is failing to grow. Men run 95% of the big companies in every I wonder country what numbers she was talking about, because the only numbers I knew about were the ones I had been kind of cataloging in the back of my mind just by going and asking people. And I realized how hypocritical it was that in an industry that is so data-driven, we had no data on diversity. Um, and very relevant to me is women in engineering numbers. Um, so I wrote a Medium post that was a, a call to action. And eventually that turned into companies releasing diversity data reports that were not just women in engineering, but broader than that, looking at gender and race and looking at not just engineering, but also the business side of things and companies overall, and also cutting by leadership levels. Um, and when the numbers came out, they weren't that surprising. Less than 20% um, women in engineering in most places, leadership is 20, 30% female, underrepresented minorities, often single digit percentages um, in engineering. A lot of times you'll look around and not see a single black or Latinx person. So the numbers when they came out were not that surprising, but it was useful to finally have a quantification of the problem um, and to have it be something that couldn't be ignored anymore because there were numbers to it. Can you talk about the positive, if there is a positive upside for product itself, for grappling with these questions? So one, there's actually decades of research showing that diversity makes teams better, more creative, um, better problem solving, better driving financial outcomes. They no longer assume that everyone around them is going to think the same way that they do and will work harder to justify what they're thinking and also can just you know, get more creative um, with all these different inputs. And this has even been shown with um, diversity of, let's say, political background. So putting Republicans and Democrats in a room and asking them to solve problems um, will be more productive than having just Democrats or just Republicans. You're, you know, Silicon Valley is awfully monochromatic. I don't mean just in terms of color or gender, but everybody does seem to think the same exact way. Yeah. Well, the, the, yes. If we want to serve a very broad audience, which we do, 
then having people who come from all these different um, parts of society and the population is helpful for building for a mainstream audience. And so there are some examples here of um, product misses we've had in the past. Um, let's take Apple HealthKit when it launched in iOS 8. So the idea behind HealthKit was that you can track all these different parts of your health. Um, it could be step counts, if you're getting enough activity, be sodium intake, uh, all these different things, but they missed period tracking, which is a very obvious thing that pretty close to half the global population cares about. And even before the advent of modern quantified self, women and people who menstruate um, have been tracking when their periods would come. Um, but it was just such an obvious miss when HealthKit came out. Uh, it makes me wonder if that would have happened if they had had more women on the team. Tracy, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a great discussion. Enjoy your holiday in Cape Town. <laughs> thank you. The Atlantic interview is produced by Diana Douglas and Kevin Townsend with production help from Kim Lau. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us. If you don't like it, subscribe, but don't rate us. I'm Jeffrey Goldberg, the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic, and we'll have more next week. Thank you.